Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from our listeners. This week, I want to thank Sabra for becoming the newest patron on patreon.com slash the bittersweet life podcast. Not only grateful to you for jumping on there to support the show, but also hello. Sabra is a childhood friend of mine. And to James for making his donation through our website, through PayPal, at thebittersweetlife.net. If you love the show, support it. Give us a one-time donation or become a regular monthly supporter and get bonus content. There are links in the show notes on how to do both. Now on to the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but I am joined by fan favorite Claire Brown, although not Claire Brown anymore. Uh, Claire is living in Split, moved there from the UK, London, about four and a half years ago. And the last time we were shocked to realize the last time she appeared on the show was way back at episode 157, an episode called Claire. Prior to that, she'd been on episode 112. So we have let a lot of time lapse. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Good to see your face again. Thank you for having me again. Yeah. So why don't we do a very, very fast recap on how you ended up in Split for those who are new listeners way back. You're in living in London. How do you get to where you are today? So I was living in London and it'd been a dream of mine to live abroad for a year because you read all these stories of people having these amazing experiences whilst traveling. And I decided that would be for me. So I took some time planning it. The intention was to be here for a year, then return back to life as normal in London. And um, I stayed. Yes. <laughs> Yes, you stayed. I know. And you were telling me that you listened back to your older episodes prior to talking to me to uh, try to remind yourself how you were thinking and feeling at that time. It's really strange. It's like listening to a different person. Um, there were so many things happening in those years. Uh, I mean, when I first spoke to you in May 2016, that was a time when I was just experiencing this life of leisure for the first time since I was a student. I mean, I don't know if you have a life of leisure when you're a student, but certainly that sort of happy-go-lucky sort of way of life. And then as I hit April 2017, I was actually trying to stay a bit longer and trying to finance myself and then since then well you can <laughs> we will explore that as we go on you found some way to finance yourself I did I mean a lot has changed and uh, as I say I was just quite shocked when I listened back to myself because I was such a different person four years ago three years ago what was the most notable change that you noticed listening to yourself I think it was more of a like a manic state of mind because I was under so much pressure and I was just scratching around and really searching desperately for a way to stay. And I think I was manifesting that desperation in a hectic social life and this constant pressure on myself to have, you know, a good time. And I think a lot has changed. And I think it's just become a lot more settled and a lot more quiet as, as that period, you know, that time period has passed. Yeah. Was that mainly because you thought, well, this could be coming to an end. So I have to soak up as much as Split Croatia can give me. I must experience all of it before I go. 
Exactly. It's quite funny. I sort of listened. Um, it said, oh, yeah, I felt settled because I had my next six months planned out. And I'm thinking, wow, six months planned out. I mean, how can anyone possibly feel settled over? So I, I was actually talking to a friend today and uh, I was you know, preparing for this and sort of chatting over, over this. And I said, you know, I feel that I was very naive. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a naive optimism of, hey, yeah, I can live from six months to six months. And, and you really can't. <laughs> It's just not possible. Well, it's certainly not without a certain level of stress. Uh, a lot of stress. Yeah. A lot of stress. And I think you had, I had a sort of slight period of illness and I think it was just, you know, it was getting a bit too much. I was just exhausted from having a good time. Is that possible? <laughs> Probably. I think we all would love that right now during this pandemic. Wouldn't we love to be exhausted from having a good time right now? <laughs> I, mean, it's just, I mean, it's just like listening to a different time and space, you know, mm -hmm. who, could, who could predict this? Who could predict this? So you were also talking to us a lot back then about which I thought was extremely bold, which was uh, dating on Tinder in Croatia. I don't know why I felt like that would be such a bold step. But boy, at the time, I was like, wow, how can she put herself out there that way? That's so crazy. And you know, I was still doing it. I actually spent a couple of months, I decided I wanted to explore a bit further outside Croatia. I was feeling a little bit stuck. And so to continue this sort of crazy traveling, working, and we'll come on to the work shortly, because that's actually been like a massive impact in my life. I was actually, I spent a month in Istanbul. And I spent a month in Odessa in Ukraine. And I just went wanted to find these other quite, well, for me anyway, a slightly more out of the way places, I guess. And even then I was still dating and I was still meeting people and going out. And I made some, you know, I've got really good friends. Um, and now it seems all over the world. And again, I'm still looking back thinking, oh my God, I can't actually believe I packed my stuff and went off to Odessa for a month. I mean, who does that? <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I'll, I mean, even just on the bigger picture that you planned to leave for a year and that was it. And then you were going to come back and it was going to be a holiday. How silly was that? <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting. Like what turns where you suddenly realize, like, I have got to figure out a way to stay here rather than go with the original plan of just going home? I think it was the fact I'd reached, you know, despite everything, I'd reached this level of relaxation and knowing myself, knowing my limits and knowing what I didn't want to go back to. And when it came, sort of became apparent at one point, and I was actually looking for jobs in Leeds, I was looking for jobs in Manchester, you know, all parts of the UK. And I was seriously having to consider going back. And I was having these conversations with these very serious employers. And I mean, you know, due respect, I mean, and, and, trying to think of ways of reconciling this very serious voice at the end of the phone with what I actually wanted. I, did I want this serious job? Did I want this like going back to the grey cold of, of Northern Europe? And I was thinking, this isn't me. What can I do? What can I do to actually get around this? And now it's just all about maintaining that balance. Wow. Balance has become very important to me now. Tell me a little bit more about that. What do you mean by that? Well, I wanted to maintain a certain level of, I mean, it's a horrible word to use, lifestyle. When I say lifestyle, I mean, just being able, and actually Cindy touched upon this in the last interview you did, she enjoys having the water around her. Now, that to me has just become a central part of my life. So I didn't want to move away from this water environment that we have here. And the thought of then going to live in Manchester, where it's 
not water. I mean, they have canals, but it's not the same. Yeah, I, I wanted to keep that balance of the beauty of the swimming, of the boating and a view in the environment and obviously maintain um, the cash to actually support that. Mm hmm. So again, it was about the importance of achieving balance, because as you know, I went too far the other way. I was very good at doing nothing. And as I said, then I'm very much all or nothing. I'm still all or nothing. But it just needed, uh, you know, it needed to just tip the balance back the way, you know, it should be, which is work and play. Yes. So <laughs> let's talk about the work, because that's a real question that a lot of people have when they are trying to figure out how to live in a different place than their home country. The work is always one of the biggest questions that people run up against. What can I possibly do while I'm there? Exactly. I was trying to build my own business and I decided, actually, that was one thing I really learned about myself. I am not an entrepreneur. <laughs> I am not. I can do the marketing of myself. I don't have that whatever it is to actually pick up the phone, cold call and go, hey, you need my services. You need this from me. You need that and actually get and close that sale. That is just not something that's part of my makeup. I am to the core very much a library and information person. And that is something that I really learned about myself. You learn what you're good at. And I am a good librarian, mm -hmm. apparently, it turns out. <laughs> so when you're trying to make a living from setting up your own business in a foreign country, whether it's to a home market or the local foreign market, you need to have that spark of entre entrepreneurship. And that was something that I found out I didn't have. Wow. So what did you do? I should I could ask you I could go down the road of like all the self doubt that comes from trying to be an entrepreneur. I mean, I certainly have felt that in the six and a half years of making this show at times where you're like, what are we doing this for? But yeah, let's just bypass all that and say, where did you find yourself? I actually saw an advert for a job which sounded perfect. It was providing remotely online legal research for law firms. And I thought, oh my word, this has got my name on it. And I immediately said, hey, I'm up for this. I'm happy to take pay cuts because uh, a pay cut from nothing is definitely a rise as far <laughs> as I was concerned. So I took that on and I was sort of going back to talking to very serious employers. They were a very serious team and we didn't gel because I had realized in myself at that particular moment in time, I was coming down from this quite intensely hedonistic lifestyle. And it just didn't gel with the sort of person they wanted or they were looking for. But I had a great six months experience of where I thought, oh my goodness, I can actually provide an online service to legal professionals doing what I love in an environment that works. It was just the wrong team. So you have to, again, it's this balance. The team was with me on the team, it sort of upset people's balance. And that was bad for everybody. And you just come out of it going, oh, my goodness, that was an interesting experience. But hey, it proved that a certain element of that can actually work, which was great, really confidence building. I'm curious, uh, now that you've been there for four and a half years, when you're in this hedonistic period of time, as you put it, yes, <laughs> are some of the friends that you have today, the friends that you had during that period of time? Actually, yes, 
because the group that I hung around with then and still hang around with now, although some of the characters have changed, there's actually been one or two people who have sort of continued that thread through. And although one of my particular friends says, oh, you know, you have really have changed over the past year. You're not that person that I met. You're not that bundle of fun, complete bundle of fun that I was back then. But that's because, you know, I have greater responsibilities now. And I've had these responsibilities in this job, this my current job um, for the past sort of two and a bit years. So of course, there's been a change. I have London hours, but we'll come on to that. Yes. <laughs> it sort of reminds me of uh, when I used to work at NPR, there was a girl that sat in a desk right in front of me. And she always used to say, you know, I love off work, Katie. At work, I was always very serious. And if she'd go over to my desk, I'd just be like, yeah, what's up? And, you know, because she would want to chat and I'd want to just get it done so I could leave for the day, you know. Yeah. There's two people. There is definitely two people. And I I recognize that now. You're like in this constant fight between, well, it's not a fight, but it's just a bit of a tug of war in that on the one hand, you're trying to still be that happy-go-lucky, that youthful, that, you know, you know, person that would go out at 10 o'clock at night and come back at six in the morning you can't do that when you know you have you know nine o'clock the next morning you've got to be at your desk yes yeah so it's just growing up isn't it yeah yeah we're getting older <laughs> what can you say, <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> no we're not just just in spirit and balance exactly <laughs> exactly so where do you end up landing job wise so after that first job and I parted ways, I was actually living up in, and now I never know, it's not North Croatia, but I was basically up the coast in Istria. So I was actually in a, a little tiny town called Volosko, which is just outside of Patia. Now, Patia is very famous for tourists. It's one of the most visited parts of Croatia. It's very close to Italy. They get a lot of Italian tourists. Anyway, so I was up there having a beautiful month. And when I found out I'd lost my job, I was in pieces and I'm going to mention my best friend again Vicky she was actually in Spain at the time she was um, having what she called a recovery road trip from a spell um, of illness anyway she and her friend dashed over to see me in this oh my goodness what am I gonna do sort of state of mind <laughs> and anyway so she calmed me down and I was so grateful for her on her mercy mission and yeah, what can you do? You need a best friend in that in that state and you need them physically there. Yes. Um, you know, you just need them there. You need a hug, don't you? <laughs> because in that case, you thought, oh, this is it for me. I'm yeah. I'm heading home. Game over. Game over. I tried. I failed. Yeah, I was heading home at that point And, you know, I was just sort of going to come back to split and basically pack up my stuff because there was nothing. So was it Vicky that talked you off the ledge or you get back to split and it just feels... Like, you have to fight for it again. <laughs> what happened? Um, I think it was the fact that it wasn't necessarily my fault. It wasn't their fault. And it wasn't the job's fault. And I say, it's like this Venn diagram of, you know, the perfect uh, recipe for a successful uh, work job life. And basically, I went back to split, recalculated everything. And then I saw an email. And it was a job with a tech company. So by this time, it must have been sort of just after Christmas. So I thought, right, I'm going to have Christmas here. I'm staying. So I decided to keep leave it till the new year. And then over the new year, I say, I saw this email. And again, it had my name on it. And I thought, I want that job so badly. I contacted them. And I had my first job interview, or my 
first interview for that job in my favorite cafe up on the hill with very dicky Wi-Fi. <laughs> and I had this amazing conversation with the office manager and it was for a tech company. So this is where it all starts to get really interesting from a job point of view. It was the perfect digital nomad job. What is it? Fable is a tech company. And what we do is we provide current awareness to law firms. So it was what I had tried to do by myself all those months ago. And someone had done it a lot more successfully than me. And they wanted a librarian. I mean, wow, it's almost like the, the explain what that means for people who didn't hear your earlier interviews about what you were trying to do when you were building that business. I was trying to provide current awareness. So I wanted to be able to sort out and read the news for people and package it in a way that they didn't have to sit there and read through mountains of material. They could just go into their inbox and see a list of all the things that they were interested in that morning and go fully equipped into their business meetings and impress their clients. So I I wanted to help them impress their clients. And, and basically, this is now what my job entails. Wow. But without me having to be an entrepreneur, I can now be a fully fledged librarian again. That is amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. It's almost like you're the job that you wanted came at, a, at you at a different way. That's amazing. I mean, I, again, today, I've just been sat there thinking, again, I feel quite chastened listening to how I dealt with everything previously in the past two interviews. And, you know, there's been so much suffering and, and hardship that I actually feel quite, not guilty, but sort of, I am far more aware now of some of the struggles, especially, you know, in this uncertain economic time. I feel that I am just, well, beyond lucky, really. And I feel very grateful for this. I don't know. I feel very grateful for the position I'm currently in. Yes. Well, the one reason we, there was a bigger reason why we had to catch up with you again, because we've heard many a sad story um, during this pandemic, and people are making the best of it however they can. But you seem to have made the best, 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 best of it. <laughs> I mean, do you know what? Because I've been having so all these wonderful meetings with librarians. They're all, you know, there's, it's been a tough time. You know, people have been furloughed and people have, you know, been made redundant. And I just feel terrible. And then I'll say, well, do you want to hear some happy news? Mm -hmm. And they're like, yes, yes, please tell us something happy. And I tell them my story of, of you know, this last sort of year and a bit. So a quick aside. Tiffany joining me here. I know you're away this week, Tiffany, uh, but yes. you, know, you, you have time. You have a moment. Yes, I'm away <laughs> in a very exotic location. I'm traveling. Yes. In your apartment <laughs> in Rome, traveling in your mind. Thank you for joining me briefly. I just wanted to tell you about this new book. Yes. We've been talking about facing death, but it's not the only thing I read. <laughs> so we have a new book that we want to talk about. It's called George's Bank, and it's by Bradley Bagshaw. And it fits so wonderfully in a way with talking to Claire today because this book was inspired by a trip and Claire of course before she moved to Split uh, among other things in preparation learned to sail <laughs> because she thought you know if you're going to live in Split be good to be able to sail and this book too also inspired by a sailing trip so Bradley Bagshaw lives in Seattle but starting in 2007, he and his wife sailed 11,000 miles from Seattle to Tahiti and back on a 39-foot cutter. Now, 39 feet. Put this in perspective for me. 39 feet is 
it's about average, I would say. It's not a, it's not one of those tiny little sailboats. It's I would say it's average, right? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm, I'm just trying to like visualize it. Yeah, you want me to look it up? Okay, so a, a, a cruising sailboat. I just Googled average sailboat size. And it says that it's generally from 16 to 50 feet. So it's somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. Okay. All right. Somewhere good. in the middle. But a long, a long and ambitious trip. And it was on that trip, as we've talked about, that sometimes travel inspires you. It was on that trip that Bradley first conceived of his idea for this book, George's Bank. Is it a memoir? No, it's a novel. Novel. Okay. It's a novel set in Gloucester, Massachusetts. But it's a historical novel, so it takes place in the past, and it focuses on Maggie O'Grady, who's an Irish immigrant, and uh, I'm not going to say she doesn't stay out of working in a brothel, but (laughs) I don't want to give too much away. (laughs) So she, okay, all right. So yes, this is a, a current book that you can read, and if you're interested, looking for something to read. George's Bank by Bradley Bagshaw. You can find it anywhere books are sold. Cool. Now let's get back to Claire, shall we? Okay. So we're dying to hear. I don't I don't even know where to begin. You begin. <laughs> so um, the story sort of unfolded as I left Istanbul. And I was actually on my way to see my friend Vicky on the, in the Channel Islands. And we spent a lovely month together in June. And I said, okay, this is an amazing place. Sark, which is one of the Channel Islands, is a place which very few people know. The Channel Islands is slap bang in the middle of the English Channel between France and, and the UK. And it's a whole completely new jurisdiction. It's a completely separate territory. And so anyway, my friend moved there and I went out to visit her. And I was thinking maybe I could make it work here. If I can't make it work in Split, then I'll make it work there. So um, I was had everything arranged to go and see her again in September. So I booked all my flight details and we know I, I got on the plane, missed my connection in Stuttgart, which was actually horrible. Yes. And I just had that feeling of, oh, this is actually, I know it's only, I've only missed a flight. People miss flights all the time. But it was seemed like such a huge deal. Anyway, I went back home to Split, absolutely heartbroken, thinking, oh, my God. And all my winter clothes were actually on Sark as well, which was the other heartbreaking thing. So anyway, so I, I went back to Split. And I took myself on one of these really like you know, tourist trips just to cheer myself up on a holiday Monday in August. And um, I met my friend. We went to the bar obviously. Um, there was a guy there. So I'd spent so much, so much time online meeting guys. And I met the love of my life randomly, unplanned, there in a bar. I just saw this guy and he was so big and so shy and he didn't say a word to me all evening. (laughs) (laughs) It was just the most amazing thing to happen. And if I'd have gone to Sark, I would have never have met him. Wow. And I just wonder what the consequences, you know, it's like one of those real sliding door moments. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if you don't speak to him at all, how does does it come to be that you get to know this person? He was exhausted. He'd actually been working all day. And these guys that work on the, you must have seen in Italy, there are builders working. It's 45 degrees and they're struggling in the heat. And they're by the end of the day, they're exhausted. He was watching the football match, having a beer and then going back to sleep and his friend wouldn't let him go 
<laughs> and I was just smiling at him going, oh, my goodness, he's the hottest guy I think I've ever met. <laughs> and I was just smiling at him and he was just looking at me and just shaking his head going, oh. And now I know that he was thinking, I haven't got time for anything serious in my life. I haven't got time. And I just don't have the energy for anything serious. And oh, my God, this girl, she just keeps smiling at me. I can't. No, 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 no. And he just kept saying, no, 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 no. And um, yeah, so I was just there chatting with my friends. And I was just, it was, yeah, we can, yeah, any more questions about that? <laughs> he knows that you like him. Yeah, and he it, likes It's me. obvious. And he yeah. likes you. Yeah, it was obvious, the body language. And he's a very direct guy. So when he he shows on his face exactly what he's feeling and this is one part of the reasons I just I just immediately warmed to this person because of the honesty on his face anyway so I sort of moved around next to him and was just like oh my goodness you're really nice I was so drunk by this point I mean (laughs) the other thing I had been drinking with Germans all day and then I'd had further drinks with my friend Gina at the bar and so I was I was so drunk so I was I was at the stage of I don't care I'm just what have I got to lose I'm just gonna tell him I like him Uh (laughs) and then um, we actually got into the car drove um, 11 kilometers down the coast ended up in this most beautiful romantic imagine this beach bar with little straw houses on the beach and sat there just drinking and by the end of it I was sitting on his lap and I think that the deal was you know this was something that was really lovely and so yeah (laughs) so this is in September of 2019 is that right yes that's correct it was the 31st of August it was the bank holiday wow uh, UK bank holiday so this is a bit of a whirlwind Claire I know I know I always said that I would never get married and I would never have a whirlwind romance but as soon as I don't know it was just so strange as soon as I met that person as soon as I met him it was just you know you just know so what has 2020 been like for you for most people it's sort of a horror story what has it been like for you though it's been blissful. I mean, obviously working hard. I've been working online anyway. So I already had my remote set up. I wasn't commuting. I wasn't actually having to deal with people and just living sort of quite quietly. I mean, you'd go out the weekends, but usually I was just too tired and actually I was quite happy being with him. And so when it sort of happened, the lockdown, because we went into lockdown probably around beginning of March, really in reality, that meant no difference to me in terms of just day-to-day life but it did mean actually that he did all the shopping because he carried on working he was actually still fitting windows they were still working these guys uh, because a lot of it was outside so it was perfectly safe and also they need the money here you know as soon as soon as um, anything stops here people haven't got that social security safety net here so if they stop working they don't get paid and people can't buy food you know it's it's simple as that and also he's you know his mum needs extra support so he was working so it did mean that he you know he said oh I don't want you going out it's it's really unpleasant out there it's he said it, it's got this strange unsafe atmosphere of everyone's really scared of one another mm. and so he would go shopping there were queues to get in the supermarkets and he's just like it's going it's horrible don't just just stay here so he was doing all the shopping and um doing all the out, outside everyday sort of stuff yeah and he's a local he's a local he's so uh, yeah we have to at least hear about the marriage proposal and the ceremony which was not that long ago 
It wasn't. I actually got married on the 3rd of October. Yeah. So literally a few weeks ago. Yeah. So it was very strange. On the 25th of December, he came running into where I was sleeping and he said, get up, get up, get up. And like, what, what, what? And he's like, come down to the beach. It's the 25th of December. You've got to, it's Christmas morning. So I put a coat over my pajamas. We ran down to the beach and watched the sunrise. And it was one of those perfectly still mornings where the sea was just completely flat and there was this golden sun. And just something in that moment sort of just looked at one another. And I thought, yeah, this is the guy I want to be with. And actually, Vicky's going to laugh because he's never actually proposed to me. But there have been moments like that Christmas morning where I just thought, yeah, we're going to end up getting married. And there was that sort of unspoken, I don't know, it was like an unspoken understanding. But I must have been about five days before the wedding. I actually said to him, do you know, you've never actually proposed to me. And he was like, oh, was I supposed to? Well, it's traditional. And he's like... Oh, and then he looked really nervous. And I thought, I'm not even going to push this because <laughs> he's going <laughs> to run away. <laughs> but that, it was that 25th of December that I knew. Wow, um, that's amazing. So, yeah. Um, so the wedding, so the actual wedding ceremony? Yes. Um, it's interesting, though, without ever formally talking about it, how do you get to a wedding ceremony? How do you get there? It was so strange because he had said to me at the end of September, beginning of October, he was like, I, I said, is this something serious? Because, you know, this is just so lovely. I don't want it to end. And he said, of course, it's something serious. Oh, OK. So even like a month in, he said, yeah, we, when you're Mrs. Billerbrook, you, you, you know, and then he'd say this. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is serious. <laughs> and so when we finally in um, July said, let's set a date. And he, I said, well, I don't know which date should we get married. I have no idea because obviously it depends on documents here. So I actually had to get all documents organized because documents couldn't be any more than three months old. So basically I had to get them all organized. So there was that sort of lead up of getting all the documents, birth certificates translated and all this sort of nonsense. Oh, that was just, yeah. I, my friend was running around the country for me to Zagreb. She was flying in the middle of like in July in the pandemic. I was just going, oh my God, if anything happens to her, I'm just going to hate my Myself. But as it happens, um, yeah, everything went smoothly. But I was very grateful for her assistance. <laughs> it's amazing how it always comes down to paperwork. Isn't it? Feels it? Like. All, all of these big moments always have so much paperwork. Exactly. Uh, particularly yeah. if you're going to be staying in another country now for who knows, perhaps forever now. Oh, forever, I hope. Um, and also there's this other element of uncertainty, which again is sort of informed the way the past few years have gone because it always felt like there was an absolute end end date to the party. Mm -hmm. That 31st of December this year was obviously when we leave the European Union. Yes. I mean, who knows what the status would be then. And so I always felt like, well, if I haven't made my mind up, if I haven't actually decided and committed myself to the country, then what am I doing? So it was very much sort of a symbolic day or this end of December is going to be very symbolic. Um, and I thought, if I'm going to get married to this guy, let's make it this year. Let's make it easier because who knows what the paperwork would be like next year, <laughs> year after. Good thinking. Very savvy. It's, so before we end, we must hear about the ceremony. We'll all pretend that we got to be there. <laughs> the first question I asked him when we met was, are you religious? 
And he had said, well, of course, I'm Croatian. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Is that an answer? So I assumed, oh, my goodness, it's going to be a big church wedding. Oh, my goodness, this is not really my thing. Anyway, after having discussions with him, and he said how much he really disliked his childhood priest, he said, I would never setting foot in that church ever again. I felt quite relieved. So we had this very small um, civil ceremony at the split registry office. And there was my best friend, Vicky. She came. The journey she had to reach me, she said, I would not do this unless you were getting married. This would have been the only reason. So she made a three-day trek down here from Sark. There was her and his best friend. So there was the four of us, the registrar, the translator, and a few friends who had actually come because I had said nobody should put themselves at risk. No one should come. But they sat there, they isolated themselves. And we had this very charming ceremony. And the registrar said some very beautiful words that you didn't need to understand to actually feel sort of the power of of this beautiful speech that she made over us. And we exchanged the rings and the rings for me were so special because that's something that was very important was to have a ring which reflected the country. So I asked the jeweler to design me a ring and it's waves and it's got the emeralds and the sapphires to represent the countryside and the sea which I love so it's something very symbolic so he was happy with that anyway so after the ceremony everybody stood outside and threw rice and confetti which it was so beautiful the weather was horrendous we had the worst weather (laughs) so here I am in this beautiful Mediterranean country and on my wedding day it was howling a gale and it was so exciting though with the wind and the gray sea it was something special after it being blue all year and then we went and had a we had a slap up dinner afterwards with a platter of meat and chips and local wine it was the best dinner and it was just the four of us best wedding reception ever (laughs) <laughs> wow, that sounds so great. Just local. Yes, and I believe Cindy, who was our guest recently, was there as your photographer. She, she was. told me after the interview. She was. She says you were wearing a blue dress. That's correct. I couldn't find anything I liked here. And so I just went round online, all my favorite UK shops, and I saw this dress which was the colour of the Adriatic on a summer's day. And I thought, oh, my word. And when it arrived, you know, you can have this like moment of when something arrives and you're like, oh, God, <laughs> that's horrible. Or, oh, my God, I can't <laughs> fit in it. Anyway, it fitted perfectly. And with the wind that day, because it was such a light, floaty material, it just looked stunning. And I, I was just blown away with how gorgeous the dress was. And, yeah, it made the day. Because if, you if you're not putting much thought into... I don't know, bridesmaids and all the other ridiculous paraphernalia wedding-wise, to have dress, flower, the ring, obviously the perfect guy, that goes without saying, <laughs> but, you know, to have everything, all the small things that you wanted, to have them perfect was was just, oh, my God, it was mind-blowing. Yeah, it sounds magical. Well, you'll have to send us a few pictures so we can I share will. them with people. <laughs> I will. Yeah. And the thing is, though, that even like beforehand, everyone came, you know, there was um, my makeup lady, my my friend Elga, she did my makeup. Uh, Cindy obviously did my photography. So I'd save some really good champagne. And I thought that was a good time to open the good champagne when the ladies were all getting together. So it's perfect. Well, congr- way to go, Claire, from like, <laughs> from 
leaving London, teaching yourself to sail, trying to learn the language, all the things that you did to end up where you are today. That's that's pretty incredible. I'm so lucky. <laughs> I'm so lucky. I know I'm lucky. <laughs> it's not just luck, though. I mean, you really went after it. Yeah. Full in. I mean, I've always said I've never had a plan, but I think I know what I want, and it's this. Well, I think we should leave it there. That's a that's a very high note to leave it on. It's so good to see you again. I'm glad to catch up. It's so good to see you. So lovely to see you. For those of you who want to go on the whole journey with Claire, episode 112, it's called Explore, is the first time she appears, and uh, 157, titled Claire, is the second time. Of course, this is the third. Uh, maybe we should end with you telling us uh, you were Claire Brown those last two times. Who are you now? I'm Claire Billoberg. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. If you love this show, you have the ability to keep it going. There are three things that you can do right now. First, tell a friend about it. Send a text to someone today. Or make a social media post and tag us. Second, write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you need help doing it, just ask us. Third, vote with your dollars. You pay to visit a museum. You pay to rent a movie online. If you get some enjoyment from this show, become a patron at patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast or donate at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Thank you for taking action. Talk to you next week. Bye.